So going back to the introduction, we are doing a four-week study called Empowered, taking a look at the different aspects of a spirit-filled life. Uh, Pastor Tyler will be sharing on spiritual gifts, which is going to be an awesome one. Uh, Pastor Rick, oh, it's not, not Pastor, I, I think he's a pastor. Elder Rick Barsh will also be bringing the word. And also um, a favorite for our youth group, uh, Wesley Town, it will be sharing also too on an empowered, spirit-filled Christian life. And uh, as they were praying and brainstorming what topics to share, they so graciously gave me the topic on spiritual warfare. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, With the understanding that you are filled with the Spirit, being about the Lord's business, you will encounter spiritual warfare. It is my privilege and honor to do a kind of a fly-by overview of spiritual warfare here this evening. And the goal of this evening is just to better understand this concept of spiritual warfare, this reality of spiritual warfare, and how we as believers can thrive in seasons of spiritual warfare. What if I told you this, that in the kingdom of God, we as his children move from just survival to revival, even in the midst of spiritual warfare. So we're going to be taking a look at a lot of passages in the scripture. Uh, We don't have the circle groups after this, so I am actually going to have us turn to these different passages so that we would know the word and where it's at in our Bibles so that we can better equip ourselves. So to start us off, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I will read, follow along with me as I read, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. I'll give you a couple seconds to turn there. Okay. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10 all the way to 12. This is Pastor Paul. He writes, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let's stop right there. The reality of spiritual warfare hit me like a ton of bricks when I was 22 years old. I was freshly graduated from Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta. After that, I went to Calvary Chapel Bible Institute in New Zealand and helped start the Bible school over there. And the Lord called me back to the Bible College in Marietta, where I was able to help oversee this uh, youth discipleship program called On the Edge. And On the Edge was a five-week youth discipleship program for underprivileged teens or at-risk teens, and it was just an opportunity for them to live at the Bible college, to take some Bible college courses, actually earn some credit, but also be engaged with community outreach, uh, mission, all in the context of close-knit discipleship with like-minded counselors and pastors and leaders. And I, I had the privilege at the ripe old age of 22 of being the director of this program, And in this program, we hosted many events, and one of the events was called the Power of Purity Conference. And uh, it was a beautiful conference. Many lives were surrendered over to the Lord, and it was a night of victory and celebration. And uh, throughout that week, we had been getting reports that some of the girls in the program, in the room, 
were having just really dark dreams. And okay, uh, one bad dream, oh, that's just a bad dream. Second night in a row, another bad dream, oh, that's interesting. But then you get a room full of eight girls having the same exact bad dream. We're thinking, okay, this is something spiritual. So what do we do? We The leaders were, I'm kind of the oldest at that point, 22 years old, right? Me and the leaders, we go to this room, and we're just anointing the room with oil, right? Just praying over this room, praying for God's protection, praying for God's uh, uh, provision for rest in the night so that these girls wouldn't have these night terrors. And uh, we brought along um, our worship leader just to, you know, just fragrance the room with worship, right? And so we begin to worship and begin to pray, and uh, it's a beautiful time. And then all of a sudden, this girl in the corner, one of the students, she starts to react. A little twitch, and then more twitching. And I'm like looking at the side of my eye. We're singing the anthem, Hallelujah. You have won the victory, right, that song? As we sing, as we pray, this girl starts to then, seems like she's having a seizure. So we go to this girl, and she's fully there, but she's, you know, moving around and squirming around, and the Rolodex in my mind, okay, so this is spiritual warfare, this is spiritual oppression, you know? And so we lay hands on this girl, and we begin to pray in the name of Jesus. Her squirming becomes growls, and her face kind of changes like a flesh mask. It's no longer this student anymore that I'm looking at. And she was starting to scratch herself, right, and kick herself. So we had some girl counselors to kind of help restrain the scratching and the the kicking of herself, and so she's kind of in the middle of the room at this point. We have some counselors on, on all the limbs. And then I start to pray, and she starts to try to bite my face. So I stiff arm her forehead, right? I'm like this, trying to figure out what to do. All the counselors are looking at me. I'm 22 years old, still ordering every night from Jack in the Box. I'm like, like what am I supposed to do, right? And so I'm, I'm praying in the name of Jesus. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm thinking, there's no veggie tales for this. Like what, like, what is the protocol for these things, right? And so I'm praying in the name of Jesus that whatever's happening would cease, right? And then just the Lord comes and gives me a refresher of a Bible story that I had read previously that week about the father who had the demon-possessed son who would throw himself into the water and into the fire. He had a mute spirit. And Jesus calls that son to himself and rebukes that spirit, and, and Jesus lifts him up. And I finally, it's clicking. This girl is demonized. She's possessed by an evil spirit. So what felt like five hours was probably three. Again, this after a whole day conference, we're exhausted, but we're praying in the name of Jesus you have no authority here. You have to leave in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus. You deaf and dumb spirit, come out of this girl. This was happening for a good hour, two hours. It felt, you know, I was exhausted. Finally, in the name of Jesus, you have to leave. There was like this, 
like just lift of the air. And I actually heard a thump against the window. And one of the leaders says, open up that window. The spirit's trying to leave. And so we opened up that window and then we closed it. And then there was a piece. This girl came to and she said, what just happened? And she goes, well, we said, we've been praying for you and, and, and you need to be rescued. She goes, I need Jesus. And so she cries out to the Lord to, for him to be her personal Lord and Savior we pray over her. There's victory. That was my first kind of experience. I was so tired and confused and leaving that situation, walking outside of the dorm with her leaders, the Lord spoke to me in my exhaustion and said, Aaron, that actually wasn't hard for me. And everything just kind of clicked. I'm like, whoa, God is powerful. God, God I, I, I actually said, God is real. <laughs> even though, I knew that he was real, but he was even more real. You know what I mean? I said, God is so powerful. It was so exhausting for me and my team, but God whispered, that was easy for me. And thus began a series of events, a couple of years where the Lord would bring kind of demon-possessed and tormented people to our ministries to find deliverance in the name of Jesus. And, and this opened up this whole world and realm of spiritual warfare. And it's my privilege again to share with you a couple of the things that I see in Scripture that the Lord has taught me and how we can then also learn to thrive, especially in those different seasons. And uh, to help us in that, because because God, I believe, is wanting to, to have us live spirit-empowered life, which also means confronting the darkness. Uh, in order to learn how to do that, I want to talk about four different things tonight. I want to talk about just a broad understanding of, number one, what is spiritual warfare? Like, we hear that a lot. We see that in Scripture, but what is it? Um, number two, who is our enemy? I believe understanding our foe, our enemy, is going to be a great strength as we engage in warfare. Number three, what are our weapons? What has God given us in order to combat this spiritual warfare? And then number four, how can we practically apply this to our lives? So let's start out with a working definition of what is spiritual warfare. If someone were to go to you and say, hey, I'm new to this Christian thing. What is spiritual warfare? What might you reply? Well, simply I say, it's just warfare that is spiritual, right? You think of warfare physically, but think of that now in the spiritual realm, and that's what spiritual warfare is. I, I like this uh, definition from the BibleDictionary.com. Spiritual warfare is the act of fighting against Satan as he tries to keep us from God's calling. Spiritual warfare is the act of fighting against Satan as he tries to keep us from God's calling. So spiritual warfare, it's war that is happening in the spiritual realm. And here's the reality. There's a spiritual realm in the heavenlies that is ongoing, eternal happening. There's also a physical realm that is also happening. Now, we operate day by day in the physical realm, but there is a real spiritual realm that the Bible depicts as happening as we live our physical lives. And much of what we experience in the physical realm actually has its roots in the spiritual realm. So understanding the things that we go through physically, understanding that it's attached to something spiritually helps us to address not just the symptoms of the physical things happening, but the, the root of the issue, which is really spiritual. So just a word for us that you're not a weirdo 
or a freak Christian if you're going through spiritual warfare, right? This isn't just for like, like the, those types of Christians. No, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are enlisted into God's family, his army, which is actively called against the spiritual darkness. We are called to make disciples, right? To fulfill God's work, thus bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do that, there is spiritual kickback, See, we once, before we were believers, belonged to the realm of the enemy, of darkness. When the Lord opened up our eyes to see that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and we cry out and we become saved, we are then translated into the kingdom of light, and we no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. Well, guess what? The enemy, Satan, he's a sore loser, and he doesn't play fair. And if he can't hold you in his kingdom, because now you're in God's kingdom, he'll try to do everything in his power and in his influence to make you ineffective for the kingdom of God and his glory. Spiritual warfare is just a part of the Christian life. It just comes with the territory of the Christian life. And I think we need to adopt the mentality of when we face spiritual warfare, not if I face spiritual warfare. In reality, if you are not facing spiritual warfare as a believer, I would say it's because Satan has not considered you a threat. I've heard it said that Satan never wakes a sleeping Christian. So in other words, a a carnal Christian, someone who's not about the father's business, Satan's okay with you doing that to distract and discourage, right? Just in your own influence. He doesn't have to do anything. But when you say, Lord, I belong to your kingdom. I'm going to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I need to be about my father's business. I need to redeem the time for the days are evil. You then put a spiritual target on your back, and thus you enter into, I think, a heavier fight of spiritual warfare. So it's not, it's not if, it's when we experience that spiritual warfare. I think of Jesus, right? Our master, our chief, our boss, That if he went through spiritual warfare, which he did, you can read about it in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, he had temptations right from Satan himself. If he experienced that spiritual warfare, so too will we, because the disciple is not greater than the master. If the master went through this, so too should we experience to walk through those seasons of spiritual warfare. Again, if you want to make a kingdom impact for the glory of God and to be used by him, you will face spiritual warfare. In, in his book, um, um, it, it's his commentary on the book of Nehemiah, Alan Redpath. I think it's Be Victorious or something like that. He has this really cool quote. He says, there is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition And there is no victory without vigilance. I'll say that again because it's so good. There is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition. And there is no victory without vigilance. In other words, if you want to win for the Lord, if you want an opportunity to serve the Lord, if you want to experience victory in the Lord, you will face that warfare. There is no winning without that warfare. There is no opportunity given by God that there is not going to be that opposition And there's not a victory that you will experience without that vigilance and that perseverance through. I see this mapped out in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Actually, let's turn over there. It'll be beneficial for our understanding in Scripture. Paul, arguably one of the greatest missionaries 
um, after Jesus, of course, right? He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, about his ministry and the opportunity that the Lord would give him. He writes 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul understood that in the great and effective doors that the Lord was opening up for him in his life and ministry, spiritual warfare was just going to be a part of that calling. So a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So you will face that spiritual warfare. But zooming out real quick, what might be the purpose of spiritual warfare? We know the enemy is a sore loser. We know he's a defeated foe. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. Paul writes in Colossians that he's broken down every stronghold, having nailed it to the cross, right? Disarming all the different principalities. So then what is the purpose of spiritual warfare? Because we see in the book of Job that Job was spiritually attacked by Satan himself, and God allowed that in his plan. So why does God, why might he allow that spiritual warfare? What's that purpose? What does it have to play in our redemptive story? Well, in God's manifold wisdom that is filtered through his perfect love, he allows spiritual warfare to perfect and sanctify us for his glory. Now, I don't understand it fully, and I might think he, there's a better way to perfect me, Lord, other than spiritual warfare, but in God's manifold wisdom filtered through his love, he allows seasons of spiritual warfare in our lives to perfect us and to sanctify us. So this is part of his promise to us that he is faithful to complete that good work until, uh, that he's begun in us until the day of Christ Jesus, right? Paul would write that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Spiritual warfare is part of that tool in our redemptive story to perfect us, to sanctify us into Christ-likeness. It was Pastor Chuck Smith who wrote, or said, and I think in a Chuck truck, there's part of a man's or woman's character that cannot be developed outside of suffering, outside of spiritual warfare. That there's part of us that can't be completed apart from those seasons of suffering and warfare. Again, if Christ went through it and he is our model and our guide, so too will we have to go through it as his disciples And I I take so much comfort that in the spiritual warfare that God is working out everything for our good and for his glory, right? He, as the master potter and craftsman, is working on me, the clay, and often it is allowing that spiritual warfare to take place in order that he would work out all all things for my good and his glory. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. We know this one, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30, Paul writes, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, which means he might be the most preeminent one. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So God is working out all things, even the seasons of spiritual warfare, for our good and his glory. See, in those things that are not feeling good or might not seem good, they work together for our good that our sanctification and our predestination can start bridging those gaps together. So God is allowing these things. The purpose of it, it is to perfect us. It is to sanctify us. I don't necessarily like it, but that's not my call. I trust the Heavenly Father. Though it is very hard at times when I don't understand, when I can't feel that this is a good work, (laughs) when it doesn't seem like a good work, when I don't understand why he chooses to do certain things, I can remember to fall back on his good heart. I've heard it said that when I can't understand why God does something, I can lean back on his heart. When I can't understand his hand, I can understand his heart, that his heart is always going to be good and for me. I remember that in those seasons of spiritual warfare, of him working out all things, that he is the creator, I am the creation, and he as the creator, God, has every right to do with whatever he wants to do with me, his creation. The beautiful thing is that I see that he has a heart that is for me, that his intended purposes for me and his plans for me are not for my destruction. They are for my prosperity in him. And if you're in that spiritual warfare, we're going to have time at the end of our service to receive prayer from our youth leaders. Uh, But I just want to share this. In the warfare, remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. I think one of the strategies of Satan is, is to get you on the horizontal, right? To, to try to get understanding from what you feel and what you see. But we as believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're not called to walk in our own understanding. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Again, when we cannot trust God's, when we, sorry, when we cannot understand God's plan, we can trust his heart. Even when it doesn't feel or see and it doesn't look good to us, we can trust him. So as we define spiritual warfare, it is war in the spiritual realm, but as believers, how might we discern that this is actually spiritual warfare and not something else? You ever get around those believers where they stub their toes, like, warfare, right? Or the Wi-Fi goes down, Wi-Fi warfare, right? Or, or just anything is warfare. They give, I think they give too much credit to the, to the enemy. But how do you know it's warfare, not just the bad taco you ate last night? You know, how can we discern it? Well, there's three things it could be. I, I'm, I'm mapping this out in my mind. Um, number one, it could just be we're going through hardship, and it might be because of our own disobedience, Right? That there's consequences to sin, not that God condemns us, but there are consequences to sin. So it could just be our, the con- we're reaping what we sow, right? The consequences to our sin. It could be that. Number two, it just could be the effects of a fallen world and living with people who are sin flawed, just like you, just like me. Like that's just, this is just the way of the world. That's the effects of a world that has given itself over to Satan. So that's just the natural effects. The third thing, it is, okay, this is spiritual warfare. 
And this is what I need to do in order to combat that. So how do I know it's spiritual warfare? Some of the things that I've mapped out in my mind. Number one, I know I'm experiencing that spiritual warfare. Number one, when I'm walking in obedience to God's commands. That when I can sincerely say unto the Lord, yeah, I'm walking in his ways. I may not be perfect, but I'm walking in his ways I'm starting out my day with the Lord. I'm continuing to walk with him throughout my day. And, and I'm going to end my day with the Lord. And I, whatever he wants to do, when I make that spiritual stride or that spiritual health, right, that, that, that spiritual walk with him, um, I know that I'm, I'm going to experience that spiritual warfare. Again, that kickback from the enemy. I also know it's spiritual warfare when I stop to pray. When I stop to pray and I enlist my prayer partners to pray for me, and then there's a relief, right? Just like when we were talking about this girl who was demon-possessed, that when we prayed and enlisted other people to pray, that there was a relief of what was happening. Okay, oh, that, that is spiritual warfare. So when I'm walking in God's commands, or when I say, when I'm making strides to invest in my relationship with the Lord, when I'm being obedient to the things he's been putting on my heart, Yeah, there's going to be spiritual kickback from the enemy because he doesn't like that. And then number two, I know it's spiritual warfare when I stop to pray and I enlist my prayer partners and then there's a relief. There's a relief of the tension. And I'm like, okay, that was something spiritual. And we get to move on. Um, I, I, I love that even when it is not spiritual warfare, that it might be the consequences of my sin or it might just be the effects of the fallen world. The same weapons apply. We get vertical in prayer, you know? So, so even if it is not that warfare, even if it's, we, we still exercise that power of prayer. And I love that acronym PUSH, right? P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. Then I'm going to be vigilant in prayer. I'm going to be um, persevering in prayer, um, and, 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 I, and I love the fact that when it is warfare, that we can reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray. And, and brothers and sisters, we cannot downplay the power of prayer. We cannot downplay the power of prayer. In, in our application, I'm going to challenge you to enlist your prayer partners, but we can't downplay the power of prayer. And, and, and maybe you're like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know anybody, but it's okay. Hey, when you humble yourself and submit to God, the Bible says that you can resist the devil and he will flee from you, according to James chapter 4, verse 7. That even if you don't have prayer partners, you can pray, you can humble yourself, you can submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And God can give you relief from that spiritual warfare. So what is spiritual warfare? It's that spiritual war happening in the heavenly places, and it has its roots, and its, its, its tentacles in the physical realm. And, and, and the enemy, which we'll get to in number two, um, he doesn't play fair. And he doesn't like you. And he never sleeps. So we always need to be on guard. So let's talk about our enemy. Who is our enemy? Number two, who is our enemy? Satan. Uh, he is our enemy. His other fallen angels, they are our enemy. The flesh, uh, Paul writes, the, the flesh and the spirit, they war against one another. That's our enemy. The world that is under the sway of Satan, that is our enemy too. The systems and the philosophies of the world that we're trying to push against and not be conformed to, those are our enemies. But just a side note, um, I know that I, when I talk about Satan, I really need to dethrone him because the world says that he is God's counterpart. 
Satan is not the equal counterpart to God, okay? Satan is not the equal counterpart to God. They are not the opposites, right? Satan is a created being. He is a fallen angel, and God is God supreme, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So when we, when we think about this spiritual warfare, I don't want you to think it's like this even battle. No, God is victorious. He is the creator. Satan is a, is a, is a fallen angel, right? So Satan also is limited. He's limited in, in his knowledge. He doesn't know all things. He's limited in his power. He's not all-powerful. And he's limited in his resources. So you can bet that he will be strategic as he can be in order to trip you up. I mean, you think about just other warfare happening in the world. There's strategy that goes into it. There's planning. So too, in the heavenly realm, Satan and his principalities and his followers, they plan, they prepare, they seek, they wait, but they have limited resources. And I thank the Lord that he is limitless, right? And that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. You also have to know, like I said before, that Satan is an already defeated foe. He lost the war when Jesus cried, it is finished and resurrected from the dead. And so when we encounter those spiritual battles, what's actually happening is we're fighting those small pockets of rebellion, not the big war. The big war has already been won by Jesus. We're just fighting and, and withstanding and resisting against those small pockets of rebellion that are still alive and well today, trying to trap people and trip us up. And so... Satan, his fallen angels, the flesh, the world, those are our enemies that we get to battle with spiritually. And I want to take a look at what scripture talks uh, about Satan. So would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, and we'll read verses 8 to 11. Talking about our enemy, Peter who, just fun fact, kind of a scary fact, <laughs> Satan was even asking for Peter from Jesus um, in the gospel accounts, which also gives me some insight that the enemy knows where he stands in his authority, that he has to ask for permission unto the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a side note, but Peter writes this about Satan um, and to the church. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, so this is our enemy, our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking, so he has eyes, whom he may devour. What's our response? Resist him. Why? How? By being steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see here, Peter describes Satan, our adversary, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's just a good thing to know that Satan doesn't sleep, he waits. He doesn't sleep, he waits, and he watches. And he looks for an opportune time. This is his strategy that in our weakest moments or in, in, in you know, uh, coming back to that story with uh, the, the girl who was demon-possessed, after that long day of conferences, we were just drained spiritually. We, we had given it all. I think that day we hosted over 800 high school students for an all-day conference. And then 800 high school students, that's like, 
that's a zoo, right? And so we were <laughs> exhausted. And uh, it was just so interesting that Satan chose, you know, that specific, I don't know, he, he just waits. He watches. He's strategic. He's a sore loser. But anyways, he is strategizing. He's seeking whom he may devour. And notice that word devour. I think it's really, it's, it's a good picture. Satan doesn't want to play with you. He doesn't want to be your friend. He wants to devour you. He hates you. Why? Because number one, you're made in the image of God, which already gives him God glory. But number two, if you are a believer in Christ, you are then attacking and a threat to his kingdom of darkness. So he hates you. He doesn't want to hold your hand and lead you astray. He wants to devour you. So let's just take him seriously. And again, he doesn't sleep. He waits. He watches. But I love also too in Psalm 121, the Lord never sleeps, nor does he slumber. And so, yeah, Satan is active, but God is also active too. And he is with us. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. I said we're going to do a lot of Bible turning, but this is good for us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, speaking about the enemy, Satan. Um, John, the beloved of the Lord, he writes, We know that we are of God. And that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So what does this tell us about the world? Well, the world is governed by Satan. It lies under the sway or the influence of the wicked one. We know that we are of God as believers, as children of him, but the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. No wonder, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So Satan has dominion over this world. Now, it's a temporal dominion because we see the end of the story in the book of Revelation that Jesus is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. There's not going to be any Satan. There's not going to be any temptation. But until then, Satan still has influence and sway over this world. This is why we experience that spiritual warfare. Again, when we're drafted into God's kingdom, more than a threat to his kingdom, and he doesn't like that, so he's going to kick back in any way, shape, or form. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, also speaking about the enemy. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, so Satan is described as the God of this age, small g though, small God, And the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the God of this age, Satan, the world is under his influence, his sway. He has blinded those from believing in the gospel, which gives me and us insight on how we need to be praying for lost people or I say pre-believers because every knee will bow one day, every tongue will confess, so they will be, they're just pre-believers, right? But how are we to pray that the Lord would open their eyes? They're blinded right now. They're spiritually blinded right now. But when we pray, Lord, open their eyes, I believe it's a prayer that the Lord so desires and loves to answer. So keep on praying for the Lord to open up the eyes of that person you've been praying for. Keep on asking that the Lord would open up the eyes, the spiritual blindness of the things of, of happening in your coworkers or in your family. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The goal of Satan in understanding him and the tactics that he does, in John chapter 10, verse 10, speaking about the thief, Jesus says, the thief, 
So Satan is described as a thief. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Christ has come. He says, I have come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus describes Satan the thief, and his motive is to steal and to kill and to destroy. What does Satan want to steal? Our hope. He wants to steal the work of the seeds that have been planted in our lives from the gospel. Satan wants to steal um, our joy, our peace. What does he want to kill? Well, he wants to kill you, your influence for the gospel. He wants to make you ineffective. He wants to sideline you. He wants to destroy you because he knows that a surrendered and submissive Christian unto the Lord is the most powerful weapon against him and his kingdom. So he wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I love Jesus. He says, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. And I believe too, that this might be a word, that God wants you not just to survive in the warfare, but to thrive. I believe that God wants to light us up on fire in a witness in such a way that when we walk into the room, he's afraid because of, one, of the one who, who we represent. Like, I, I, I heard a, a screamo band, they're called Four Today, they're like hardcore band, right? But part of their... Um, they have a cool album, and uh, their prayer was, let my name be feared at the gates of hell as, as I exalt the Savior. I thought that was, that gave me chills when I first heard of it. Let my name be feared at the gates of hell as I exalt my Savior. There's, there's, in the book of Acts, the spiritual realm, they talk to one another, okay? And so, you know, they were trying to do a, a little thing, an exorcism, and then they go, I, I know Paul, but I don't know who this person is, right? And so they knew who Paul was. Paul had a reputation that in his effectiveness for Christ that, that got the spiritual realm's attention. I love that, that prayer. Let my name be feared at the gates of hell as I exalt the Savior. For us, as we exalt the Savior, I want Satan to be like, gosh, Ellen Sabio's here. Gotta go, right? Oh gosh, Mark McCaffrey's here gotta go, right? Not because of who we are, but because we exalt the Savior, and that's the testimony of the Lord working in our lives. Um, So the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that we may have life and life more abundantly. I think even believing, even in those seasons of spiritual warfare, that we're not just surviving, but we're thriving, and we're bringing that revival. Um, Another cross-reference, I know we're running short on time, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 to 26. Write that down. 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26. Um, It just maps out that the whole world has been taken captive by Satan to do his will. And so when we pray for someone who's captive, we want to pray that the chains would be broken, that the bonds would be broken in the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus, that Christ would rescue them and, and he would be their personal ransom for their sin. And so we want to escape the snares of the devil. Um, we want to pray against those snares of the devil um, and, and, and just be praying that the Lord would bring um, and, and set the captives free. Okay. It's a lot, okay? I know, it's a lot. Um, I do want you to write down these references, though, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, and just understanding our enemy and some of his tactics, that after Jesus was baptized and filled with the Spirit, he's now led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
Uh, and he's praying and he's fasting for 40 days. And both accounts say that after the 40 days, when Jesus was hungry, then Satan came. Again, he's not a, he's a sore loser, right? He doesn't play fair. So when, after Jesus was depleted of everything, right? For 40 days fasting, then he was hungry, then Satan comes in. And what does he do? He uses God's word. He, troll, he tries to use God's word against Jesus. So he's a manipulator. He's a liar. But he also knows God's word. And that's a scary truth. So for us as disciples, what is that call? Well, we need to be stewards of the word, rightly dividing the truth, right? We need to understand what the word says in context so that when the enemy tries to disguise himself and to manipulate scripture for your own personal gain or for his personal gain, we can be like Jesus, but this is what the word of God says, okay? And so I do want to highlight that, again, one of the strategies of Satan is to attack when we're the weakest, when Jesus was super hungry, he then attacked, but then he also manipulates God's word in order to have uh, Jesus really be sidelined and to worship him. And so if he's going to use that powerful weapon against his most powerful foe, Jesus, I think that's a weapon in his arsenal that he's going to use for us. That he might whisper some of these things that sound good, but it's not actually God's heart. And a lot of Different heresies, a lot of different false religions and cults have been started because they listen to these lies of the enemy, and now they're totally deceived and deceiving thousands and millions of people that God so loves. And so we need to be understanding God's word. If you don't have a study Bible, get a study Bible. Um, if you're not developing scripture memorization in your life, um, start meditating on the scriptures uh, so that you can ponder them and know Christ's heart so that when the enemy does shoot that arrow or that lie, you can say, but this is what the word of God says. And you can stand in that. So again, Satan is a sore loser. He doesn't play fair. He's watching, but he's not all-knowing. Um, and, and other things we see in scripture, I can't get into it now, but Satan will use fear. He'll use discouragement, disappointment, distraction, shame, pride, insecurities, all those things and more as tools against us. He will use fear. He will use discouragement. He will use disappointment, distraction, shame, pride, insecurity as tools against us. What is our job? Well, we have to be standing firm in God's grace. We read in that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll get into the armor of God briefly, but when we encounter the enemy and he is using those tactics against us, we need just to stand. This is the heavenly and holy resistance that we're called to in him. And I love that as we stand, we find victory. As we stand, we see that Christ is standing not only with us, but for us. And we see that Christ is always leading us in victory, in triumph. All we have to do is to stand in him. So number three, closing it out before application, what are our weapons? We have in Jesus the power and the authority, of course, in him to resist the devil. Okay? This is cool. Revelation chapter 12. Okay, Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. This is good for us. 
I'll read this real quick. Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. This is John's account of the heavenly realm. He says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. How do they overcome? And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, speaking of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. I love that in this account, the first weapon against us is not anything that we can do, but it's everything that he's already done. It's the blood of the lamb. It's Jesus. Without him dying on the cross for our sins and resurrecting on that day, we stand totally um, um, defeated. But because the blood of God was spilled on our behalf, his blood broke those chains, broke those graves, broke those bondages, and now we stand victorious because of his righteous blood that covers us. And the word of their testimony is just believing that Christ is the Son of God. So how do we overcome? First, it is acknowledging that our righteousness, our power doesn't come from us. It does come from the resurrected Savior who imputes to us by his grace his righteousness. And so we fight because, number one, we, our, our first weapon is the, is the blood of Christ. It's salvation. The second weapon is the word of God. We, we see that in Ephesians chapter 6, but also in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that it's that, that, that sword, right? The word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But also we see in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, Jesus was using scripture in its context to combat Satan's lies. And so again, that word of encouragement to get a study Bible or, or get in a Bible study group and look at scripture and, and meditate on the scriptures so that when the enemy does come, you have those scripture daggers, you know what I mean? Just to kind of fight against him. And I don't want just those short little daggers. I want these broad swords because I memorize passages, right? I have passages hidden in my heart. It's like, oh, thank you, Satan, all right? So that's my encouragement for you guys. The second one is the armor of God in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6. I love that the Lord doesn't give us or doesn't leave us defenseless. He provides spiritual armor for us. And I'll just share this, that no one puts on the armor of God for a fashion show. People put on the armor of God because they understand they are in a spiritual war. And every day in prayer, you have to access the tools he's given us. We need to be good stewards of the armor of who? Not the armor of me, Not the armor of Rob Salvato, but the armor of God. I want to be a good steward of the armor of God by by, by practicing using it every day and being ready for those attacks. Because I don't know when Satan wants to come. He's planning, he's, he's brainstorming, but I just want to be ready. I want to stand. Ephesians chapter 6, write this down, verses 10 to 20. I'll read it for us because this is so important for us. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand... Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. The truth of who God is, the truth of your identity, the truth of his death, burial, and resurrection. Gird yourself with truth. 
Um, he says, uh, and then having put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? Walking in righteousness, the ability to walk in righteousness, put on that breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and those, those sandals of the Roman soldier that Paul was probably uh, had in mind when he's writing this, they had stakes on them, so they were immovable, they were ready, right? Stand in the power of the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench those fiery darts from the wicked one. So it's, it's faith in God's word. It's faith in who he calls me to be my identity, that when the enemy attacks those things, I have a shield of faith to block those things. Take the helmet of salvation, not only protecting our minds, but it's the lens in which we see the world through the lens of salvation. Put, those, put that on. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And get this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, verse 18, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then Paul says, and pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which, uh, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Again, speaking of the effectiveness for Christ in the kingdom that as we engage with ministry as being a part of God's redemptive plan in the world, we do need that spiritual armor. We do need it. We, we, would, we would be silly to go out to war without our weapons, without our armor. But too often we are so busy. I confess I'm too busy at times to remember that I'm in a spiritual war. And then I'm getting you know, hit and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. The enemy hates me. And so we, we need to, especially if we want to be used for the Lord, remember to stand as we gird ourselves uh, with that armor through prayer. Um, and then the, the last cross-reference for us is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. What does that mean? Though we walk in this physical realm, we don't fight in this physical realm. Okay? For the weapons of our warfare, our spiritual warfare, are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So what is he saying here in regards to spiritual uh, warfare and weapons? We don't fight in the physical realm. In fact, if you are in that spiritual warfare right now and you're tripping up and you're fighting in that physical realm, the enemy's laughing at you because you can't defeat him physical versus spiritual. You need spiritual versus spiritual in order to engage in that spiritual warfare. And, and yeah, we may encounter those, those situations with demonic, uh, you know, oppressed and possessed and demonized people, but more so it's the battle of the mind. This is the majority of the spiritual warfare that happens. This is why we need to put on that helmet of salvation, but also we need to, by the power of God and his grace, to take those thoughts captive and bring them under the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? As, as I'm walking with the Lord every day, I'm not letting my mind rule me, but I'm ruling over my mind. And I'm taking inventory of the thoughts that come, and I'm measuring it. Hey, does this match Christ? Does this match what his heart is or what his word says? Oh, if not, I'm going to bring that under obedience. I'm not going to feed on that thought anymore. I'm going to bring that under obedience to the thought of Christ and hold it captive there. So I'm not going to be tripped up in my mind, 
I'm going to be holding my mind accountable by the Spirit of God, by His grace. And yes, this takes work. <laughs> yes, this takes energy and, and intentionality. But I'll, I'll share this, having, having to battle in my mind often, man, I'm so thankful when God allows me to see what's happening and I bring those thoughts captive because the joy and the victory in Christ is like chef's kiss. And that is what the Lord wants us to experience in him. He's come to give life and that more abundantly. And so we have to be utilizing the weapons he's given us. And so I'm not going to let my mind rule me. I'm going to rule over my mind by giving the Lord my mind, by taking those thoughts captive and bringing them under the, the, uh, the obedience of Christ. Brian Broderson, uh, he says this, I, I can't, like speaking of thoughts, right? He says, I can't stop a bird from flying over my head but I can stop a bird from making a nest on my head. And I like that, right? Those thoughts will come, right? But what, what do I do with those thoughts? I think there was a study saying that you have like three seconds or 15 seconds, something like that, a short amount of time to, to figure out what you're going to do with that thought before it actually um, makes you do something, right? So we have to be so aware, sober, vigilant, heavenly-minded to catch those different thoughts so that when we, when we have those thoughts, we can be like, wait, wait, that's not the Lord. Okay, that's not the Lord. I'm not going to walk in that. I'm not going to own that. But when, I, when it is the Lord, wow, I want to meditate on that, right? I want, to, I want to indulge on that. But Okay, and the last thing, the last spiritual weapon is just the, that art of praying and fasting. Uh, Jesus had an encounter, and he said something with the demonic realms. Sometimes those things only come out by prayer and fasting. So there's a spiritual power and a depth that we are robbing ourselves of if we are not practicing that lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And if you want some resources on some cool ways to do prayer and fasting, um, let me know. Um, I, I love to help you with that. It's been so instrumental in my life. But um, that spiritual power that is uh, uh, available to us when we avail ourselves to the Lord in praying and fasting is one of our other weapons. Okay, what does this mean for our lives? How do we all be a doer of this? Number one, we need to learn to meditate on Scripture. Okay? We need to learn to meditate on Scripture. If I want to be thriving in seasons of spiritual warfare, I need to have the resources stocked up in me that I may be able to stand in God's truth. I need to work out a system or a pattern in my life where I'm meditating on the scripture. If you don't know how to do that, you can ask Pastor Rob Nash. He and I have learned to, I've learned really from his example on how to meditate in the scripture, and it's been so transformative in my life. So Pastor Rob Nash is an excellent resource. Um, number two um, is a quote from my, my pastor my, uh, uh, when I was in the Bible college, Rod Thompson. He says, hey, don't wait for the battle to pray. Pray in preparation for the battle. And I love that. Don't wait for the battle to pray. It's too late. You can still cry out to the Lord. He hears you, but pray in preparation for the battle. That's, that's being heavenly minded. That's, that's walking um, circumspectly, right? So pray in preparation for the battle. And then number three, this is a, a shout out to the, the body of Christ. Build your community of prayer warriors for you. Build in prayer and accountability partners that when you can just send over the emoji praying hands, they don't have to ask questions. They can just heart it and say praying. Because when you're in that warfare, 
it's hard for you to recognize what's going on. Often it's like spiritually foggy and you're just like, I just don't know what's going on. But the times that I've reached out for prayer and people are praying for me, the prayers and interceding right for me, and there's a lift. I'm like, oh, that was spiritual warfare. So I'm so thankful for my brothers in Christ that I can just send that prayer hand emoji to you, like in the temptation or in the warfare or anything, and that they're just praying, right? So I would build in three or four guys, right? If you're a guy or three or four girls, right? If you're a girl, that have your back and that you also have their back too, right? So get that prayer, but also that accountability to people that you've opened up your life to that they can ask any question. Because I've seen too, the enemy doesn't play fair. If you give him a foothold, it, it, it can ruin your life, right? If you give him an inch, he'll take a mile type of thing. And I don't want to leave any foothold for the enemy to come. So I've invited select people in my life that they can ask me anything. And my covenant with them before the Lord is I'm going to be completely honest. And that's a vulnerable thing to do. But you got to do what you got to do in order to stand strong in him. Okay, all that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I do want to close out in our last two songs of, uh, of worship that if you are in that season of spiritual warfare, or maybe this has illuminated, wow, I am in that season of spiritual warfare to receive prayer. I have my uh, youth uh, guys here, um, so I'm going to call them up to the front of the stages here to, to pray a blessing over you, to pray for you, to intercede with you. And so if you're a Calvary youth leader, go ahead and make your way up over here as I pray. Um, but start brainstorming. Hey, what's the plan that I can put into place to better uh, learn Scripture and remember and remind myself of Scripture? How can I better pray to the Lord? What things need to go? What sacrifice do I need to make in order to invest in my prayer life? And then number three, who can I prayerfully ask to be a part of my accountability or prayer team um, that I can send that, that prayer request out to? Okay, so... I'm going to pray for us. Joe and the team, they're going to lead us in some songs. And I have um, some faithful warriors that I've had the privilege of doing ministry with. Rebecca, come on, right over here. Elle, come on. And they would love to pray with you and for you. Um, and so let's just ask the Lord for his hand of blessing upon us. Lord, we thank you that you're always victorious. I thank you, Jesus, that in the spirit-filled life, Lord, we have the opportunity in spiritual warfare to better know you. Lord, I, I pray that we would not be afraid of these seasons of spiritual warfare. I, I do pray that we would be ready for them, Lord, and that we would respond, Lord, in humility, crying out to you. Lord, um, I, I pray, Jesus, that we would respond not in the carnal way, but in the spiritual way. I pray, Jesus, that you would teach us to put on the armor of God. Teach us, Lord, in the battle, Lord, to look to you for victory um, and, and for deliverance. And I thank you, Jesus, that you so love to give that victory, that you so love to give that deliverance. Lord, we are yours, and we don't understand why you do what you do, but we do trust you. And so I do pray, Jesus, for those who are maybe in that season of spiritual warfare, um, that you would comfort them that you'd also be patient with them. I pray, Lord, that you would um, lift up their eyes to you, that they would have, Lord, hearts full of faith to believe that you are still for them, even in the battle. And I pray, Jesus, in this time of response, that we would just, oh man, just respond to what you're doing in our lives. 
So Lord, would you also deploy us as soldiers and ambassadors of the gospel? And I do pray, Lord, that bold prayer, let our names be feared at the gates of hell as we exalt the Savior. Lord, may your name, Lord, your light drives out the darkness as we represent you, Lord, to a world that you love with, with the enemy flee because, uh, because of, uh, of you working in our lives. So we give you ourselves, we give you this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.